The following is a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com. Before there was radio, TV, or podcasts, people gathered together to tell stories. These stories were meant to entertain or educate. It really drew people in and helped them forget their troubles of the day and experience something they've never imagined before or maybe illustrated something in a way that was more easily to mentally digest. This tradition has been reborn in the forms of not only RPGs and LARPs, but in console, card, and board games as ways to tell a story and bring you into the tale. We're going to be talking about news, kickstarters of games you should be aware of, and interview a guest about a topic that involves some aspect of storytelling. We welcome you to the Adventure Party. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Party. Uh, on this, the 21st of May, I'm your party leader, Brad Ludwig. We ask that you peace tie your swords, holster your blasters, and have agreed upon house rules before you game while you are gathered at the meeting table. Uh, the second in command here, as always, is Glenn Bittner, and he is a movie reviewer on the YouTube show, The B-Movie Bunker, and the creator of the RPG Mistrunner. How are you this evening? Whiskey. I am whiskey. <laughs> uh, as of today, on the 21st of May, it is National Whiskey Day, and Glenn is partaking to uh, be a part of the celebration that is the amber liquid known as whiskey. Oh, I and wh- Saturday. Well, there- <laughs> fair enough. Uh, what brand are you enjoying? I just finished uh, enjoying a Belvini, which is a single malt scotch, and I have now moved on to a Redbreast, which is one of my favorite, what I call Irish sipping whiskeys. Ah, there you go. Are you a uh, on the rocks kind of guy or straight up? I am a neat, no ice. They spent all that time getting the water out of it. Why do I want to put it back in? <laughs> have you ever thought about getting whiskey stones? I have, but I just haven't. <laughs> Fair enough. And I mean, I've heard I've heard varying conversations from different, I guess, whiskey connoisseurs. And I like what I like, but I'm by no means uh, an expert. And there are those who will obviously argue that it always must be drinking neat. But those who argue that by adding like a single ice cube you open up different complexities to the whiskey and different flavors and tongue textures and whatnot. So. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think the whiskey stone is a, a great way to have both. You don't get the extra water and you get it cold. Yeah. So there you go. As always, we're going to do our round table discussion which will involve this time around, if you may have guessed by the opening, we're going to be talking about house rules in this episode. House rules can, house rules are designed to fill in gaps or things that seem out of balance and everybody needs to agree on them. Otherwise things get weird. So we're going to be talking about a couple of, a couple of instances of house rules that that we've encountered. And then I really want to have this be like an interactive thing and have you guys who are listening, let us know 
what games that you've played where you've developed house rules and what those house rules are. Because it would be kind of nice to have a little bit of a compendium on the Galactic Netcast website. So uh, we would love to to post that, uh, any of the house rules that you have to share with us. So you can email those at... Uh, now I have to think about it. Uh, adventure at gncasts.com. That's adventure at gncasts.com. All right. We're going to kick things off with Glenn's review of a game that I, it's looks like it's 30 years old, but I have never heard of it before in my life. What is that game, Glenn? Well, the game I brought today is called Survive Escape from Atlantis, which is a reprinting of a game that was really called Survive. And then, Added a little bit to make the Escape from Atlantis part. Um, it's from Stronghold Games. It is two to four players generally. Though you can also buy a five to six player mini expansion. Uh, retails for about $40. Takes roughly 60 minutes to play. And was designed by Julian Cortland Smith. So those of you who have ever read books know the history of Atlantis and that it sinks beneath the waves. You have to get your followers off the island and to one of the four corners where there are four other islands that are not sinking safely. Doesn't sound too hard when you have boats. However, boats can hold so many people. The water's full of sharks, which will eat your little people who fall in the water. There are whales, which will destroy the boats, throwing the people into the water so the sharks can eat them. And then there's sea monsters who will just eat everything that they can get a hold of, whether you're <laughs> in a boat or not. Um, <laughs> The game board is made up of, there are hex tiles that are either sand, forest, or mountain, representing the three different height levels of the island as it sinks. So you make the game board, you set it up, placing those tiles out. Then going around, you place your little followers on the board. And it's not just that simple of just getting your people off the board. Your player, your little people on the bottom of them have a number value of one to six meaning how many points they're worth. Because, Ooh. great, you got, you know, Bob the janitor off the island. That's good. Someone still needs to be a janitor, but he's only worth one point. Where if you got, you know, Tim, the death ray inventor, he might be worth six. So you want to get him <laughs> off more safely. Um, <laughs> so the trick is, though, is that when you place them, you can't look again at their point values. So you have to remember where you put that number six. And if you're smart, you'll use your little number ones to try to screen that guy so you can get your big ones across while sacrificing Bob the Generator to the gaping maw of Jaws. <laughs> that sucks to be a one in a six in a six world. So it would seem. Yes. Provided you don't, you know, screen with the wrong person and sacrifice a five pointer to protect a three pointer, which <sighs> I've never done. <laughs> so how a turn works is the first thing you do is you remove a tile from the board. Obviously, you have to start with the lowest level, so you can only remove sand tiles at first. Once they're all gone, you then remove forest, and then you remove mountains. If there was someone standing on that tile, they end up in the ocean. Also, on the bottom of tiles is something, there will be something printed. Now, sometimes these are good things, which you might be able to save for later. It might be like a dolphin who will save one of your, one of your swimmers from a shark later in the game. Some of them will just simply tell you to move a shark or move a whale or a sea monster and stuff like that. Then you get to move some of your followers. Uh, swimmers can move one space. People on the island can move one space. If you're in a boat and you have a majority of people in the boat, you control where the boat goes. 
So you can get in the boat, but if, say, you're green and there's two red guys in the boat, you have no control over the boat because red decides where it goes. People who make it to the, to the corner islands will be safe. They can't be taken out later on. Once you've done your moves, you then roll a die. We'll determine whether or not you get to move a shark, a whale, or a sea monster. And then play pass to the next player. And you keep going until the island is completely sunk and there are no more people left on the board other than safe in the corners. Do you then reveal the point values of all your guys who made it safely? Highest score wins. Huh. It's an interesting game because a lot of times, I've played this game a lot of times with, with people where I'm teaching it. And a lot of people, the first time through, a lot of people are too nice to each other. <laughs> uh, they, don't really, they don't really go after each other that much. But once they figure out how the game really works, that second time through, oh, there are people being eaten by sharks and killed by sea monsters left and right. Because everyone's just like, well, now, now that I know what I'm doing, I'm killing you as fast as I can. <laughs> um, so, and sometimes you get this little kind of what I call it's the the confused shark where I will roll the die then in my turn and move a shark close to your guy and then at the end of your turn you also happen to roll a shark and you move him back to my guy and we <laughs> just keep doing this back and forth with this shark doing this weird dance of the he's indecisive I don't know who I want to eat that guy looks tasty but this guy over here it's like you know you're at the buffet and you don't know what to do so <laughs> it's just it's a really cool uh, really cool game and I, I like the I mean, I like my cooperative games, and, and I like competitive games, but there are, aren't are a lot of games where you're actively, you know, going out of your way to ruin the hopes of another player, where it's part of the game. I mean, yeah, you know, other other games, you, you're trying to get more points, and you might, you know, take a try, you might block someone on a route, but it's not to the level that, you know, I'm going to make a shark go eat your guy, because I'm pretty sure that's your six-pointer, because you've been screening with these other guys who were probably nothing, so... Unless you're playing me and you're screening with your six because you think that I know that your six is a one and that, you know, <laughs> a lot a lot of different strategies you can do with the game, which which makes it really cool. Plus the fact that the islands, I mean, if you play it enough, you start to learn what's on the bottom of the tiles. You know that the sand tiles have these specific things printed on the bottom. You don't know which one's which, but you know that when sand tiles come up, oh, yeah, this one's, gonna, you know, this one will probably have a shark on it because I know which ones are already out. But that's with any game where, you know, if you, if you count cards or tiles or whatever, you know what's coming eventually. Um, sure. But it's still a lot of replayability just of the fact that you have a random setup at the start of every game. It's really cool. I like it a lot. Sweet. Yeah. So what does it re – it retails for approximately – 40. Okay. Okay. So – and in – Board game world, that's pretty good. And there's, I mean, there's a lot of the tiles are are really thick because also just by height, the the size tiles, the height tiles, so like forest and mountains are are also thicker than sand ones. So they're big, hefty tiles. You get a ton of meeples because everyone has, you know, you have enough for four players to have their little, you know, bastion of guys. So you get a lot in a box for forty dollars. Very nice. So it's it's a it's a good buy because you get a lot for your money yes and it's you can, you can play it numerous times now it looks like it was reprinted in 2011 and i saw yeah. that it was printed that uh, there was another version from 1996 so it's it's been around like we said it's 30 years old 
Uh, it's been yeah. around for a while and it's been reprinted a number of times. And it looks like they have, they're using wooden meeples this time around. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the original game came out before there was such a thing as a meeple. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Well, thank you for bringing that to our attention, sir. You're quite welcome. If you like what you've heard on this Galactic Network podcast, please consider helping us out financially by going to gncast.com support. On that page, you'll find links to our Patreon campaign where you can make a small recurring monthly pledge of as little as $1. Or click on our Amazon affiliate link, make a purchase, and we get a very small percentage from the sale. Again, go to gncast.com support. And thank you for supporting the Galactic Network podcast. We are going to discuss the news, and this time around, we are going to take a digital gaming news story. Glenn and I both have been playing Fallout 4, and Glenn is has been playing for longer than I have, and his character is uh, at least twice the level uh, mine is at currently. And the interesting thing about Fallout 4, and they did it for New Vegas, they did it for... I think they did it for Fallout 3. Downloadable content uh, mm -hmm. to add to the game to give it more shelf life. I mean, if you, you know, the interesting thing about Fallout 4 is there's settlement building, which is involved in it. So you actually get to construct a place where your wasteland settlers who have been wandering around trying to survive can actually live in a home uh, and have a, a regular place to sleep and, and things like that. So it allows you to get down to that level where you get to be management <laughs> as it were now. And that has in it built into it a bit of additional shelf life to the game. And with the DLCs that they put out so far, they put out, uh, Automatron, Wasteland Workshop, and now they've just come out with Far Harbor. And uh, this came out last Tuesday uh, as of this recording, which would be May 17th, it came out. And it's it's actually gotten some interesting reviews. Now, one of the complaints that, that I've heard is, and, and I've experienced, is that you are kind of while you have multiple ways you can respond to questions that people ask you while you're, you know, running through uh, different quests and things like that, you kind of get railroaded into certain, certain things. And in some cases, no matter, well, not necessarily no matter, but if you take a couple of different approaches, you still get to the same route and it doesn't really seem to have that much impact. One of the things that they, hoped to address and it looks like they have is with far harbor you get a little bit more flexibility in that regard uh so they've opened that up a little bit which is kind of interesting now this news story that we got from kotaku kind of goes through some of the the three big steps that kotaku came up with for uh, far harbor and here we go so you think you're ready to brave the fog and find kasumi nakano eh well, we've got a couple of pointers that should help you on your journey. First off, this may seem obvious, especially given the trailer for Far Harbor, but 
you absolutely must bring Nick Valentine with you. Some of the biggest payoffs for the quests in Far Harbor's story revolve around Nick, but for whatever reason, the game does not let you play the DLC without him. So it does kind of railroad you there. So uh, one thing that you need to know is if you are playing Fallout, you need to deal with the quest to... Well, it's not really a spoiler to save Nick Valentine. You need to, he's captured and you need to free him. So that, that needs to happen. And it happens, it can happen early on in the game. So even if you're just starting out, as long as you finish that Nick Valentine storyline to free him, you're able to play this DLC. Uh, have you lost Nick somewhere? Good news! At least if you're on the PC, there is a mod that will help you track down your companion, no matter what random-ass radioactive ditch you left him in. <laughs> uh, at one point, Far Harbor actually offers you a permanent new companion, Old Longfellow. And while Old Longfellow has some great lines, I still wouldn't trade him with Nick. Not for the DLC, anyway. If nothing else, make sure you have Nick with you when you enter and explore Acadia. Uh, the second tip here, you should bring whatever rad-resistant gear you have with you. Power armor works. The hazmat suit works. Maybe you've got something else with rad resistance. Whatever it is, take it with you, including chems such as Rad-X and Radaway. The island of Far Harbor is inundated with radiation thanks to the fog, and that stuff adds up. Think of it as the extra New England version of the glowing sea, crabs and all. Now, for those of you who haven't been playing, uh, the Glowing Sea is the major blast crater where the the bomb that drops that takes care of uh, this area of Boston is basically where, where you're playing. So, uh, Finally, prepare for actual skill checks. Now, when you are playing the game, you actually... There are some skills that you need for, uh, like charisma for conversation and things like that. And there are skills and perks that you uh, purchase in the game. Uh, the game does give you lots of options depending on your character's build. It might be worth bringing along some light gear that influences special. And special is your strength, perception, endurance, charisma, intelligence, agility, and luck. I like how they put that together to make a word, but the, all those different skills make up your character. Uh, in particular, charisma, because that's actually useful now. Uh, I would argue that. Uh, oh yeah, you should totally buy that harpoon gun, if not old reliable, uh, at the first vendor in the DLC. They're both pretty cool. Now, I've heard some arguments on on that, that the some of the guns are actually kind of ridiculous. <laughs> You've got the harpoon gun, and then there's a bowling ball launcher. <laughs> what, are, what are the ridiculous ones? What's that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I got to say that the railroad spike gun has been my favorite so far of the semi-ridiculous weapons that you can pick up, but it's yeah, just so, so badass. It's pretty nice. Yeah, I haven't haven't run into the junk launcher yet. Is that a part of the automatron build, or is that a part of Fallout Four? Yes, <laughs> I don't remember where I got it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Actually, give me just a second here, and I. But I did kill a raider with a teddy bear. 
That is awesome. Let's see. The Junk Jets. That's the Junk Jet, yes. Nope, it's in Fallout 4 proper. Yeah, okay. thought I had it before the thing, but I don't remember stuff. <laughs> yeah, uh, for those of you who aren't playing, again, uh, you wander the wasteland and you collect junk, which can help you when you break it down to its base components can help you fix or build things. And this weapon called the junk jet allows you to actually take some of that junk that you really don't feel you want to use and turn that into a weapon uh, or turn that into ammunition for the weapon of the junk jet. And it's, it's a fairly heavy weapon. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. 29.9 at its base for weight and i'm assuming that any other mods that you add to it will uh, inevitably add more uh weight to that as well so you need gun nut and science huh okay i can't wait to run into that as a weapon anyways so i don't charisma to me in in this game is probably one of the intelligence and charisma, at least the way I'm playing are some of the bigger stats that you could possibly, you know, put your stuff into. I have um, always, always heavy loaded both of those in all of the follow games. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the nice things about an RPG based game like this, which allows you to tailor your character to however you wish to play. I mean, you could be, an unarmed person who, you know, puts their skills all the way up in strength and, you know, beat the crap out of uh, creatures just by punching them or using the, the death claw gauntlet or whatever. But if you're in, I really wanted to do some of the settlement building and you really need, you know, to go up the intelligence track and, and, and charisma, if you want to, you know, negotiate for more caps for jobs that you do, uh, caps being the currency in the game. Having a high charisma is 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 crucial. Now, strength is great for doing like armor or blacksmithing and doing things that allow you to modify weapons. So, I mean, strength is most definitely important. All the, to me, the only one that I haven't really put anything in, well, I put one point into is luck. And that's that's it. One point. Now, there are certain- Can you use bats a lot? Yes. Luck, uh, high luck helps fill up your crit meter faster. Okay. <laughs> I found that out a little bit later. So I, when I got a little higher levels, I started putting some points in luck. Okay. Well, actually, I've in, I've managed to come across the X01 armor, and I've made the modification to the helmet which in daylight uh, fills up the, the app meter uh, faster, which is kind of nice. I wander around in my armor pretty much all the time. So anyways, I, you know, if you're not playing fallout, I apologize <laughs> for that extended fallout talk. But if you do play fallout, uh, it looks like far Harbor is really an amazing add on uh, to, to the game. Uh, it, now Bethesda, does Skyrim and some of how some of how things work. If you're familiar with Skyrim, it's fairly similar with uh, skill building and uh, things like that. So 
this Far Harbor edition is one of the largest land masses that they've added to any any game. And in fact, because of Far Harbor, the season pass increased from $29.99 to $49.99. And they are going to be releasing more DLC throughout this year as well. So at this point, getting the season pass is well worth it. If you're thinking about getting into Fallout 4, getting the season pass will get you, I said it before, Wasteland, Workshop, Automatron, and Far Harbor and anything else that comes out beyond this. So at this point, getting that season pass is well worth the money that you spend, uh, especially once they add the next DLC, whatever that's going to be. Uh, you're definitely at that point where you're going to be hitting 50 bucks uh, for DLC. So uh, well worth the money spent in, in my opinion. Uh, did, are you a season pass holder or are you just kind of getting things where you feel... I I just get things as I get them. Okay. I was just okay. too lazy to become a season pass holder, though financially it would have been the smarter idea. <laughs> yeah, I only and I, I got the Wasteland Workshop, which was five bucks. Now, uh, you're playing on PC, correct? Correct. Okay, I'm playing and I'm properly. <laughs> I see how it is. I'm playing on the PS4. Okay. So. One of the cool things about playing it on PC is that there people have made mods for uh, for the game, and you can get uh, different skins for objects or people. You can get, gosh, somebody made it so that you can use the terminal to do other specific special things. There's so many mods that they have available for the game, but if you're playing console like I am, those really aren't available to you. So. Yeah, <laughs> there are some interesting mods that that can add some and fill in some some different gaps that uh, you may find in the game. So, all right, that's enough of Fallout Four talk. The Sci-Fi Survival Guide is a podcast like you've never heard before. It is part of the Galactic Netcasts, but that is where the similarities end. It's a sort of audio feast, a theatre of the mind. You can find out more by going to www.gncasts.com slash survive. Maybe you will find out how to survive a nuclear explosion, or maybe when the hordes of zombies come knocking at your door. Each month we will take a popular science fiction scenario and I will tell you how to survive. Be prepared at gncasts.com slash survive we are going to talk about our kickstarter spotlight now the last time we met we talked about the mists of akuma which 
is a it's an add-on for God, my brain just turned off now. It's a very inopportune time. Uh, D&D 5th edition, and it adds it adds Eastern rules for and setting for uh, like Katana and some of the, the weapons that were used in uh, medieval Japan. So this adds that type of setting to the 5th Ed world, uh, because they haven't built that yet for 5th edition. So he's actually looking to add, and this is kind of a, a steampunk-themed... Uh, it's like it's, taking... It's, it's like steampunk mixed with uh, a uh, like Spirited Away. Okay. Like a Miyazaki movie, I would say. Yeah, they call it a fantasy noir steampunk set in, uh, in, in the East. So... Uh, an amazing setup here and they have a lot of information and they gave away some, uh, some free PDFs to go along with this just to, to kick things off. As of this point, they have 157 backers. They're at 5,567 and they're looking for 7,000. So they have another 1,000, a little under 1,500 to go with nine days. So uh, I, I really hope that Mike gets things going on this and uh, is able to put this out because it looks like he's put a lot of time and care into developing this. And I really would love to see that, that come to be. So it's, it's getting down to the wire. So if you were a fifth ed person and you enjoy any of the following a Eastern setting, that is fantasy, you enjoy noir, and you enjoy steampunk, this may be <laughs> for you. So uh, check it out on Kickstarter. We are going to move on to our current Kickstarter spotlight, which Glenn brought to us. And what is this game, Glenn? I don't know. Maybe it is Plague Inc. Now, some of you may be familiar with the video game Plague Inc., this is a board game based off of said video game. Ooh. In this strategic board game, two to five players are trying to evolve deadly plagues to wipe out all of humanity. Because that, that sounds of, kind of like has come. <laughs> humanity sucks and it needs to go, is basically yeah, what this board for, game is saying. It's time for something. So, <laughs> um, this sounds a little bit like Pandemic. What, what makes it different? Well, Different in that it's not cooperative, and you're trying to kill humans as opposed to save them. Um, there you go. So it looks pretty darn cool. I mean, I like playing the game, and there's other games like that where you there's like Infectionator on Congregate and Armor. I think Armor Games. I could be wrong, but I know it's on Congregate.com as Infectionator where you're turning people into zombies, and there's other games where you're just you basically are you're trying to wipe out humanity. That's what you need to do. You need to wipe out humanity. Um, <laughs> And you can get in on it pretty cheap. I mean, to be fair, okay, there's nine days left in this project. They were looking for $34,000. They're currently at 186000 When I originally picked this a week ago, they were not quite that high, but still. So the game's going to get made. And you can get on that for 30 bucks, man. $30 gets you a copy of the game, along with stretch goals and a Kickstarter-exclusive Patient Zero pack. 30 bucks shipping anywhere in the world, man. This is coming from the UK, so. 
Yeah, that's a steal. Yeah. Holy crap. So, now, that's the two to four player version. If you want to have up to five, you got to fork out 36 whole dollars. What? An additional six bucks? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, they're obviously doing this game at under retail value. There's no way a, a board game for how this looks that this will be in a retail store for 30 or $36. It's just not going to be feasible. I'm doing a screen share. For those of you who are following us on, on YouTube, doing a screen share right now and looking at all the cards, all the pieces, the board, everything, 30 bucks is nothing. Yeah. It really isn't. Uh, th that's an incredible deal. So, yeah. And if you go up to $62, you get the game – the Kickstarter exclusive, the stretch goals, the fifth player expansion pack, Kickstarter exclusive collector pack, and the digital disease pack. Now, as far as stretch goals go, they've hit some already. Yeah, they've uh, looking at the list. It's ridiculous. Yeah, uh, they, so they've unlocked the extra counties. Uh, sorry, countries, not counties. This is not. Plague Inc. Wisconsin. This is Plague Inc. World. <laughs> um, so, yes, extra country cards. They've unlocked um, Juneau County and Lincoln County and, and Winnebago. Sorry. Walworth is not, and <laughs> Walworth County is still, Tornados will take care of them, anyways. <laughs> um, and there's just, I mean, where's the other stuff? Here's, here's the strips I was looking for. So, yes. Uh, they added countries where they ran in Panama. They added 3D biohazards. They added Norway as a country. They entered a uh, new event card, temporary mutation, immune reaction, DNA flow, uh, Sudan. They had a companion app, uh, some other country cards. There's executive execute infected card. There's a uh, new plague type, which is a game expansion, more new events and more new countries. They have not gotten to single player mode, which is at 210,000. Um, and then they haven't reached question mark, question mark, question mark either, which is also a question mark dollar amount. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if they're going to hit that one in time, but yep. And this is all slated for release in November. So yeah, that turnarounds. So pretty much everything is ready to go. It just needs to hit the printers. It, it, that's yeah. really what they're waiting for here. Yeah, uh, yeah. Is, it looks pretty darn cool. And I mean the game, the the video game that is based. I mean, seventy million players play have played uh, Plague Inc. So that's a couple, just a couple. Yeah, just a couple. Wow. And it's I British, know. so you know you you can take it home to mom and she'll be impressed because of its good diction. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was I was just reading an article on how a lot of Americans just think British people are smart because of how they talk. Well, that's yeah, that's that's definitely been a thing. And, and Daryl Johnston, who does a show for us called uh, the Sci-Fi Survival Guide, he's British. He actually started out as a listener of the Alien Invasion and ended up uh, doing his own show, <laughs> and it's it's exceptional. And and we actually had him do an intro for one of our shows because his British accent just really kind of gave the particular style of intro that we wanted to do some more gravitas as it were. So, uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, you, you can't say that word. See, it doesn't sound as good coming from you where if a British person said it, that would sound amazing. Yeah. Gravitas. 
<laughs> coming, coming out of you and me, it's nothing. But coming out of Patrick Stewart or Ben oh, Cumberbatch, yeah. man, that's just. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. So for the uh, the popularity that this has digitally, having them convert it to a actual board game and thirty bucks shipped anywhere in the world is is ridiculous and i really hope that this oh they've got okay they've got it set up so that they've got outlets to ship in the united states so okay good because i i read a it was the horror story of chaosium and how things really kind of went downhill because they put together a an expand or a new edition or an expansion i can't remember what it was and they ran it through Kickstarter and did not really calculate shipping costs or anything. And they had somebody step in by the company and fork out the you know additional hundred plus thousand dollars to handle the shipping for everything that was ordered. Yeah, so, the world the world is a big, big place. Yes, and while you know they managed to net a lot of money on that on that Kickstarter. It wasn't enough to to cover everything. So I always get a little leery when it's like, oh, my God, $30 for a game. That's too good to be true. But there is a way to set things up so that you have multiple distribution points within a different country. So it it doesn't cost nearly as much to to, to ship it out uh, throughout the world. So and if you go to Kickstarter, you can see that they've got a particular uh, logo, actually a couple of logos that they put on there that let you know that they've got that type of setup. So uh, you don't have to necessarily worry. Uh, U.S. friendly shipping, EU friendly, Australia friendly, and Canada friendly. So yeah, that sorry, those are the logos. <laughs> those are the those are the logos that you really want to look for uh, when you find something that seems to be ridiculously cheap uh, shipping wise. If you see those logos. Uh, you know that it's legit. So there you go. No, this looks like a, a great game. And if you're into end of the world type scenario <laughs> games, uh, this is definitely going to be uh, something that you want on your game shelf for reals. What we want to do now is we want to do our discussion. And that is about home rules now. What are home rules? Home rules, if you are unaware, uh, basically they are rules that you have, and we talked about at the beginning of the show, they're rules that fill in a, a, a gap or a perceived gap in gameplay or something really doesn't make sense the way it's to be executed and seems unbalanced or unfair. And when you come up with house rules, it's got to be something that you agree on uh, with everybody at the table so that everybody knows what's going on and nobody goes, ah, surprise, now I win because nobody <laughs> nobody likes that game and nobody wants to play that game again. They're, they're house rules, not I'm a douche rule. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so what we want to do is uh, I'm going to have Glenn lead this because he – is it he sells games for a living and is exposed to a lot more games than I am so he is more familiar with different types of house rules and what I would like to do Glenn is have you we'll just pick two 
and talk about two games of house rules that you're aware of and how they came to be and how they're executed. Sure, I can do that. So I will start with one. Um, actually, shoot, it just it just left my mind. It is uh, from, from, from one of my favorite games, Colt Express. Now, well, actually, before I, before I even talk about that, I want to say that there will be people who will create house rules because they, I would say, as, as Brad was saying, they think games are unbalanced in some way. It's not necessarily mean that they are right uh, as far as you mean unbalanced. Yeah. It means that it's, it's unbalanced for the way they play games. Yeah, and that's why um, I was trying to be careful to say perceived as yeah, well. Perceived as unbalanced. Now, I mean, and that's not to say that every game out there is perfect. There are some games that are an utter mess. Um, but <laughs> Cult Express. Now, I personally don't use this rule because I have not had the same experience as some other people. But I know more than one group of people who have basically nerfed one of the main characters in the game because they have felt that her ability is too powerful. Um, and this particular character in this game, her name is Belle. And for those who aren't familiar with Colt Express, it's a train robbery game where you're trying to collect the most loot on this train. And you can shoot other players and stuff like that, which doesn't kill them. But um, when you get shot, you have to add these bullet cards to your deck of action cards you can take each turn, basically making taking up valuable space in your deck. Now, Belle's special ability is, is that if she was in a location and anyone else is a valid target... You can't shoot her. You have to shoot someone else because she's the sassy redhead. So of course you don't want to you don't want to upset her because maybe your redhead, if you go by stereotypes, can be a thing that you don't ever want to deal with. Um, <laughs> and some people have felt that this made her too powerful. Now, as someone who has played as Belle on more than one occasion and never having won with her, I would disagree with this house rule, but. I've played it by one of my friends' houses where they use this, and that's fine because they say it up front, this is our house rule, which is, as Brad said, you always have to do, especially if you're playing a game with someone who's played the game before in a different location. Now, where you most often see house rules coming up is in role-playing games. Yes. Um, especially in some of the earlier, clunkier editions of stuff where people would I mean, for an example of one that I adopted very early on in my role-playing career, and when I say very early, I mean at, like, age 11, um, <laughs> was in some of the original D&D stuff. You had rules as far as um, elves and dwarves and stuff being basically limited in level advancement. And I, even at that age, said, well, this makes no sense. A human lives 80 years and can become an unlevel, unlimited level of fighter. But an elf who will live 900 years, I forget the exact level limit, but it was like level like nine, <laughs> which is pretty ridiculous. I would think even if you say, all right, so 100 of those 900 years, they're a kid, and another 100, they're elderly, that still leaves them, 610 more years to develop their sword fighting skills than a human. And that's if you go by the fact that you think the human came out of the womb with a scimitar in his hand and was already hacking down orcs, which <laughs> would make for a very, very difficult childbirth. Um, yes, absolutely. Unless your mother's like, you know, a, a 
stone golem and then swords don't bother her unless it's magical um Gar- guaranteed episiotomy yes. not desired so we house ruled that we're like well no i want to play an elf and you know i want to be a fighter i don't want to have to play a wizard because it, it played a lot into these weird stereotypes of characters where elves are wizards with a little bit of fighting ability dwarves are always fighters halflings yeah. are kind of just this these little short dudes who just do some stuff but don't do it anything very very well um <laughs> and they fixed a lot of that in later rules but we still had house rules and i mean you may even have other things where house rules aren't even so much a rule as far as how the game is played but you might have like a DD campaign that has no elves that is yep. you're, you're taking the game and you, you know you're so in some ways it's adding these little tweaks now playing in your house that's fine uh, with these special, specific little rules. This is why anything that is done on official levels, like the RPGA was with all of the, when they had Living Greyhawk and just any kind of tournaments now with the Wizards Play Network. And if you do Pathfinder Society stuff, they have very specific rules for character creation and how games are supposed to be run so that everyone's on the same page um, because house rules can really screw that up. I'm going to mention a game that many people in the world uh, hate many people in the gaming world, I should say, hate because it's not in the world because it is a hugely popular game and that is Monopoly. And a big reason why, if you hear somebody who says how they hate Monopoly because the game takes forever, a big reason for that is because almost no one on earth plays the game by the actual written rules. So, so many people have house ruled things over the decades that if you go play it with three different people in three different houses, you will be lost on a time when they start doing things like, what do you mean the money for free parking goes in the center if you land it, you get all that money? That doesn't make sense. That's not in the rules. Oh, that's how we always play it. If you pay a fine to community chess or chance that goes in the center and you can get that money later, I'm like, that's, that's not in the rules. Like, what do you, oh yeah, we do this thing here. Well, that's not in the rules. Yeah. And the thing is, is this is why you have to state these things ahead of time because if you don't, one, you can get someone like me who's like, you're, you're not playing by the rules, which now makes, in some people's lives, will make you seem like, well, you're just a snob. It's like, no, I can read. Um, yeah. But it's yeah. also the fact that if this is how they play the game, that's how they play the game. That's how they get enjoyment out of it, which at times will lead to people saying, you know, not liking the way people do specific things. Um, I'm generally pretty open, where, as I, as I said in Cult Express, I've personally had no issues with the character of Bell being overpowered. Um, but I know other people have, and when I've played with them, I don't let that bother me. I'm like, fine, that's, you know, I, I can use her nerfed and uh, still lose. Um, <laughs> like I do when I play her not nerfed. Um, but yeah, it's it's just, it's a way just to, to help cater games a bit more to the style of play you have with your friends you know it, it can be used because you think something is unbalanced it can also be used because you think something's too hard so you make things a little easier um or you might think that things are too easy so you make them a little harder and some games have now started building that in with options to start things out at more difficult levels to start with um as when i talked about recently in drizzle which was the uh norse gods fending off ragnarok kind of thing um that one has different levels you can actually go for play. So if you want a harder experience, there's some ways that you can tweak it built into the game. Not saying that you can't do house rules. You can always do house rules. It's, as the saying goes, my house, my rules. 
as long as you're, you are playing that board game under my roof, young lady, you will play by the rules I have set forth, even if they're not the printed rules in the game. Fair enough. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and one game I was thinking of is uh, Ninja Burger. Uh, In the first edition, we got into a situation where the game actually went on for two hours because (laughs) the winning conditions were not met. And we ended up making, well, somebody else, I think it was Rob came up with a house rule. Uh, Rob Benton, who was a previous guest on this show, came up with a house rule for the game, which uh, actually helped put an end to the game. And when they came out with the the edition, the next edition, they actually had a rule not dissimilar uh, from what Rob had come up with as a another way to end the game. Because when you play Ninja Burger, should not take two hours to play. <laughs> Really only, it should only take two hours to play if you include the half-hour drive to your friend's house and the half-hour drive back. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, it, 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 when you get into a situation like that, it, it really, I mean, once we got to like one and a half hours, I was like, oh, let this game end. Oh, my God. And everybody else had cards to prolong the game. And it was like, oh. So... Rob on the fly came up with a rule and we're like, you know what? Yes, let's just be done with this. And the next time we played, we used that house rule. Wasn't a problem. We met the conditions and boom, we were done. And somebody got a newer edition and we looked at the rules and uh, by God, if it didn't have something pretty similar, uh, which, you know, it's always nice to... it's always nice to see that if you come up with a house rule and they come up with a, you know, a newer edition and they have something not dissimilar to what you came up with, uh, it kind of makes you feel good, actually. <laughs> I'm smart. I should make I'm... my own because I came up with this before them. <laughs> uh, well, Glenn has laid out some house rules for Cult Express D&D, and that was second edition, correct? Uh, that was, uh, original AD&D. Oh, 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 oh. all right. I'm just making a note of that to make sure. Oh, I played AD&D as well. That was where I started. You're old too. (laughs) Back in my day, we had AD&D. Back in my day, Uh, they didn't have days. (laughs) They had moon units. And dweezels. All right. Uh, so we've got modified rules for, uh, like I said, Cult Express, AD&D, and Monopoly. Now, what I would like to do is open this up to you who, who are listening to this right now or watching this on on YouTube and have you submit some house rules that you have either played or have run into that you liked. And to do that, you can send an email to adventure at gncasts.com and let us know. Uh, let us know what the game is and what the rule is. And we would love to uh, have a follow-up discussion uh, and, and and let people know what some of those rules are and actually post those on the site and, and probably on Facebook as well and and have a place where folks can look at 
different house rules. So if you play a game and it seems unbalanced in some way, you will have a place to go to see some of the different rules that, that we've come across and people have shared with us uh, to help you with uh, some of the other games that, that you're playing. So uh, like I said, send that to adventure at gncasts.com. Or if you're watching us on YouTube, you can just leave a comment and uh, let us know what house rule uh, you have uh, used or run into that you enjoy. So speaking of leaving comments, we got some feedback on Adventure Party Episode 7 with Patrick Rothfuss and talking about world building. And Big1975 uh, said earlier today, uh, for Champions, the hero system, Patrick was totally right except for one thing. Now, we were talking about adapting... Um, adapting his King Killer Chronicles into a game system and what game system that he would prefer. And we kind of threw out the hero system as a possible idea, but Pat laid out some serious flaws to using that system. So let's get back to it in here. Uh, the most complicated part is the character creation, the powers spell creation, and you have to make a little effort for combat. But when the character is done, the playing is essentially 3D6 throwing. Simple to play. Uh, by the way, I'd really love to show who Pat... Uh, how... Uh, he mentions later on here that uh, English is not uh, the first language. So hang on. I'm going to read this again and make sure I have the translation proper here. I'd really like to show Pat... Explain how to use champions in his work. Okay. By the way, I'd really love to... Uh, have Pat, oh, <clears throat> essentially asking how to have Pat explain to use champions in his world using the magic system and storytelling and etc. So there you go. Thank you for, for that bit of feedback, Big 1975. What, what Pat ended up throwing out is saying that he might use the fate system, which... Uh, a fellow author and uh, cohort of his, Jim Butcher, who writes the Dresden Files as well as uh, a couple other series, uh, he had somebody approached him with using the Fate system. And the Fate system is very narrative-driven. Uh, you actually pick descriptors for your character and not necessarily stats. So it's very, uh, very... There are dice. I didn't want to say it's diceless, but if you run, if the the GM says, "Okay, you run into this situation," if you have something listed on your character sheet, which is a like the name of an ability or something like that, you can say, "Well, I am, you know, uh, 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 light fingered," you know, to do something that would be like pickpockety or uh, say you're running a, a con. Yeah. Sleight of hand or con game or you're a magician and you're doing some press the uh, digitation, whatever. It leaves it open and then you basically do a, a roll off against each other uh, based on your skills and or based on what you have listed on your character sheet. If it's an applicable skill that the uh, your your game master says would work, then you do the roll and you're good to go. So it's very open and 
very very open to uh, narrative and cooperative play, and it doesn't feel for those of you that play Pathfinder or things like that. It, it's almost kind of and I want to say rote like it being a bad thing, but it's like, okay, this comes up. You need to have this skill, roll the dice and to see if you make it. It's not like that. It's, it's very open-ended and very fluid. And Pat felt that that would be a lot better for his particular setting for his King killer Chronicles. So that's what that's in reference to, uh, you know, for more, this is a longer, <laughs> this is a longer episode. So, uh, Check out, it's episode number seven, Patrick Rothfuss and World Building. Check it out on YouTube. Check it out um, on your podcatcher. Go to gncast.com, find episode seven and listen to it. Um, Pat One is a, a great storyteller, uh, not just in in, uh, in the written form, but uh, having him verbally tell you a story is, is always wonderful, captivating. And uh, we're very glad that we got to talk to Pat. So uh, I definitely recommend that episode uh, for you to listen to. So uh, speaking of such, we have had many other meetings as this is our 50th and uh, you can check out our different uh, meetings or shows. You can check out the show notes and get contact information and subscription links by going to gncasts.com slash adventure. Uh, you can find and follow us on Twitter or join our Facebook group or Facebook page. Uh, by using the Facebook search term Galactic Netcasts. Uh, you can also find all of our social media outlets by clicking on the links that are available on our website. You can find our YouTube channel uh, where you can see the video versions of the Adventure Party meetings at youtube.com slash galactic netcasts. If you're using iTunes or Stitcher um, and now Google, uh, Google Play offers podcasts. Uh, as well, which is kind of cool. Uh, please take a moment to give us a review and let us know what you think and how we're doing. Uh, your review, positive or negative, could help shape the adventure party and help make it a better show. So one of the things that we have done based on a uh, listener uh, bit of feedback is when we do the uh, Kickstarter spotlight and when we do Glenn's game review, we flip to uh, a split screen where I, or not a split screen, and I, <laughs> I swap out the screen so you can see my desktop as I, you know, kind of flip through some of the pictures and you can see some of what Glenn is talking about while he's talking about it. So uh, just adds an extra a bit to the visual component if you check us out on YouTube. So uh, if you actually want to see the games that we're talking about, you can check them out on our YouTube channel, which you can find at uh, youtube.com slash galactic netcasts and just look for the Adventure Party playlist. Uh, you can also leave us feedback by emailing adventure at gncasts.com or you can call or text us at our number 805 328 3966 again 805 328 3966 and you can leave us a voice or text message uh, you can also do that uh, by going to the website gncasts.com and we have a button where you can actually click it and if you have a microphone attached to your computer you can leave us a voice message uh, through the website 
Uh, Galactic Netcast is a network that hosts a number of different shows like Weird World Weekly, The Alien Invasion, Sci-Fi Geeks Club, uh, The Podcast of Terror. Uh, we also host Galactic Netbytes, like we talked about earlier, the Galactic Gaming News, and Who Knew and Reviews. One of the other shows that is monthly that I mentioned earlier is the Sci-Fi Survival Guide by Daryl Johnston. Uh, you can check out all these shows and all the news that we put on the website at gncasts.com. So, uh, Glenn, I want to thank you for talking about house rules with us. And where can people find out more about you and about Mist Runner? Whiskey. And whiskey. Uh, find me on Facebook, um, both just me, uh, as well as Mist Runner the RPG and Guy in the Bunker Productions. Find me on YouTube, Guy in the Bunker Productions. Or just follow me on Twitter, uh, at, at Guy in the Bunker. Not at, at, like. I think the whiskey's hitting your system. I like peaches. <laughs> uh, they come in a can. They were put there by a man in a factory downtown. Uh, thank you so much for joining the adventure party. May your characters never die and your adventures always be epic. Thank you and good night. This has been a Galactic Network podcast. For more, go to GNCast.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com.